Um, so first up, we have Amira International, who's a leading additive manufacturing and 3D printing company with uh, key clients in aviation, defense, and space sectors. Uh, Barry Finnan, the CEO, joins us today. Uh, Thanks, Barry, some, pe some people might say that uh, 3D printing is uh, not rocket science, but uh, judging from some of the work and some of the recent announcements you've been making, uh, sometimes that's exactly what it is. So I think you might have the controls for the presentation and um, look forward to learning, learning more about uh, the company. Thanks, Warwick. Uh, yeah, a lot of people talk about our rocket projects, um, and we actually did that project because had we done one with one of our aviation or defence customers, they probably wouldn't let us talk about it. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll talk today about Amero and, and its evolution as a business and our plans going forwards. Um, the next slide is, a, is your usual uh, disclaimer slide. Uh, feel free to read that in your own time. Um, Initially, what I'll talk about is the emergence of the Mero Engineering, where we came from. Monash University Centre for Additive Manufacturing was established back in 2010, and the university poured tens of millions of dollars into establishing this world-class facility. And the team at Monash Centre for Additive Manufacturing found that they were achieving the mechanical properties required for the aerospace industry, and... Amero was born, they decided they'd need to create a spin-off company because Monash is obviously not, not a manufacturer. And since then, um, the business has been involved in a number of world firsts. The world's first 3D printed jet engine, uh, which has been on display at a number of air shows globally. Uh, the world's first 3D printed aerospike rocket motor, which uh, you kind of referred to in your lead-up, uh, Warwick, uh, was test fired back in 2017. Um, anybody who wants to see that test firing, there's a, a video on YouTube. You just type in Amero and it comes up. The world's first production of 3D printed components for hot part of jet engines in military aircraft. Uh, that has meaning in the context of uh, not just the fact that we've been in production of components, but we've been through the qualification cycles, which is critically important given the long sales cycle. Uh, the completion of the Apache Gearbox project in 2018, establishment of our US manufacturing facility last year, and then listing on the stock exchange. Um, the other highlight I'd pick from this slide is uh, another significant development for us, and that is the new proprietary range of machines, the SP series, which are the world's safest for laser powder bed fusion and the most capital efficient for laser powder bed fusion available in the world. And I'll talk about that in more detail as we go forward. Uh, company snapshot, um, this, it's funny how quickly these things date. Uh, you would see that uh, because we put this together back around the beginning of July, our share price at that point was about $0.24 cents in a market cap of $42 million. Um, It's now, I, I think, around $0.31. Cents. Um, and uh, so obviously there's some um, improvement in, in that period, um, which I would attribute to some of the milestones that we've been achieving. Um, the structure, so Amero International operates through two operating divisions, Amero Inc., the US subsidiary, and Amero Engineering Proprietary Limited in Australia. Uh, it's led by myself and the board, con con constituted of David Hanner, our chairman, uh, who has just uh, finished his role as the director of strategy for Monash University, Australia's largest university, Stuart Douglas, um, the co-founder of Innovise and his executive director, Stuart, worked with me to reformulate Amero as a business last year in preparation for listing. 
and he's led a number of companies through the process of listing on, on the ASX, um, some other notable ones, including uh, Titanic, um, who some of the uh, listeners today would be familiar with. And Catherine Presser um, is uh, the former CFO and company secretary of Beach Energy. Um, she has more than 20 years' experience as a company secretary for an ASX-listed company and actually took them from a startup right through to ASX 100. Um, our advisory board, uh, we had uh, David Carbon, who's former vice president of Boeing, who led the um, uh, Boeing 787 Dreamliner program. The most recent outgoing former Secretary of Defence um, for the US is our defence advisor, um, David Wolf, who's the uh, one of the directors of the Global Offsets and Counter Trades Association, or GOKA, um, is our advisor on defence offsets. GOKA is the organisation that decides where the defence offset spends are spent globally. Um, and works in conjunction with the heavy hitters in the defence industry, companies like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Talos, et cetera, et cetera. And myself, uh, I'm a metallurgist by background, um, more than 25 years in the manufacturing sector, um, having established greenfield manufacturing sites in, in Australia and, and also in, in the US and Mexico and more recently in uh, Toulouse in France and now El Segundo, California. Um, prior to joining Amero, uh, I was embedded in the Monash Centre for Additive Manufacturing as the platform manager, and prior to that, spent 12 years working at CSIRO leading um, manufacturing technologies for transport and mining, which included most of the metals research um, undertaken at, at CSIRO during that period. And so I have a, an interesting mix of experience in manufacturing metal components for a variety of industries, uh, as well as reduction to practice of new technology. The general sector overview, um, obviously with COVID, I'm not sure that these 2025 estimates are going to hold up, um, but the scale is going to be similar. Um, our target market historically has been aviation, defence and space. Uh, which is a bit more than that aerospace sector number there. It's probably at the moment around about five and a half to six billion. Um, and one of the changes that Stuart uh, and I put in last year was uh, including the tooling market as being a market that didn't have the same uh, long sales cycles. So aviation, defence and space it has notoriously long sales cycles involving quite long periods of qualification. Uh, in fact, the first production program that we had for uh, aviation application took about five years to get through qualification. And I, I guess the good news about that is that we have been through it and that we're in a position to receive production orders for those projects that we've qualified for, but it is a very long sales cycle. Um, coming out of that, the customers that we're working with uh, like working with a company like Amera who has seen through those qualification processes previously. So that actually uh, gives us a, a bit of a leg up on competitors who have not been through that. Uh, and we've actually been um, told that we've been down-selected for a particular defence program. Uh, and once that defence program receives its funding, uh, we will start the production qualification process. And we hope that soon, uh, although governments... Uh, 
still making decisions about what they're going to be doing with their defence spend at the moment. The tooling sector is an interesting one. Um, my traditional um, roles in manufacturing industry have been around manufacture of extrusions and forgings and die castings, basically um, material processing, and each of those processes requires metal tooling. And additive manufacturing creates benefit for these these processes in that the tooling can have conformal heating or cooling channels, which can accelerate the uh, production process and give you more output per unit time on the machine, giving you an advantage over the conventional manufacturing processes for tooling. Which leads us to the next slide. Um, the milestones since listing, I'll, I'll pick out a few highlights here, um, knowing that I've only got a limited time. Um, the tooling agreement with Fletcher's, so a lot of people wouldn't know who Fletcher's installation was, but they would certainly know of their flagship product, which is the Pink Bat. Now, Fletcher's manufactures the Pink Bat using technology licensed from a global conglomerate, and the process involves spinning glass at high temperature through a tool, and the tool basically is sort of like a bowl with thousands of holes in it. And we spoke to Fletcher's uh, some time ago uh, because they were having issues with their local, their, their, their global supply chain being able to get hold of uh, these tools, and it was threatening continuity of production for them. So they thought, well, I wonder if Amero can 3D print them. We've actually developed a solution for 3D printing these tools, which we're working on qualifying with Fletcher's at the moment. Uh, once we've got through that, there'll be production orders from Fletcher's and that'll be good news from the business. Time frame for that's probably around about November. But bigger than that, um, Fletcher's, as I said, licensed this technology from a global conglomerate. And between Fletcher's and the global conglomerate, if we were to supply 100% of their tooling requirement um, with this technology that we've developed and patented, uh, it would require 600 3D printing machines and with each of these machines costing over a million dollars, you're talking about what would be the largest single investment uh, in production of additive manufactured components. Um, so that, that's a target for us going forward. The uh, development agreement with Global Automotive Manufacturer for Metal 3D Printing of Tooling reinforces the uh, new market focus on, on the tooling sector as well. Um, the next item, the qualification statement of work for a large aerospace customer. This is for satellite parts, and this is what the El Segundo facility is being established for. Uh, the first machine is in the process of qualification. Once it's qualified, our customer has told us that they will fill it with work and give us the production orders for subsequent machines, so much so that they have told us that within 12 to 18 months, we will need to look for a larger manufacturing facility to accommodate the additional machines that are going to be required for that. So those are, are key highlights in, in terms of our growth going forward. Uh, I'll skip through the, the rest of this down to uh, the uh, item here talking about the uh, final assembly and commissioning of the SP series machines. The SP series machines are the safest and most capital productive of the available laser powder bed fusion machines on the market. The SP100 and the SP500 are now operating in our manufacturing showroom in the El Segundo facility. And while we have restrictions here about people moving around, 
um, we are actually now able to receive customers into the El Segundo facility to watch those machines in operation. In addition to those two machines, there's two new machines that we're adding to the lineup, the SP260 and the SP400, which are available now. Um, I'm in the final stages of getting brochures together and there'll be a launch associated with those shortly. And by the end of the year, we'll have the SP800, um, which will be the largest uh, laser powder bed fusion uh, footprint machine available in the world. And with that lineup of five machines, it will be the largest lineup in terms of size range of any of the additive manufacturing machine providers, including Concept Laser, EOS, SLM Solutions, and so on. So what, what's safer about these machines? It's critically important when you're dealing with metal powders because the metal powders are a health hazard if you inhale or ingest them, or in some cases they're explosive. You need to be able to deal with them under inert atmosphere. Um, you don't want staff to have, wear a space, have to wear a spacesuit and traffic powder around all over the place. You basically want it contained. And so these powder preparation devices on the left-hand side here include a decanter, an automatic sieving machine. This thing here is the uh, silo, which is how we, we transport and store the, the metal powder. And then that is fed into the machine like this. And then once the machine has completed building, we use this vacuum conveyor, which again, under inert gas, basically sucks all the powder through this tube into the silo again so that it can then be auto-sieved and recycled. And the last device, there is a, a glove box which allows you to rotate the build platform to remove, remove any of the residual powder. And this group of machines, this set of systems, um, enables us to offer a complete solution, not just sell a machine. And further to that... Um, we're in the process of quoting our first uh, centre of excellence for a country looking to invest in uh, an additive manufacturing centre. And that centre will involve a number of these machines and also some machines from uh, other sources, such as furnaces, um, a direct laser deposition machine, and then non-destructive testing equipment, um, such as CT scanning equipment that will be set based on the collaborative project that we have at the moment with CSIRO and Lockheed Martin. Some of our clients, um, I guess they're the, the who's who of um, aviation, defence and space. Um, I, there's not really much more to say about that. Um, I think perhaps uh, um, it's more important to focus on the key partnerships that we have. I mentioned Monash University Centre for Additive Manufacturing. They're the largest institute of the world, in the world focused just on additive manufacturing. And because of that, they attract uh, customers looking for uh, people solving their problems. And also they create new technology. And Amero is a key beneficiary of that. And I'll also mention that University of Adelaide and Monash University are both major shareholders. Um, so both of them have a substantial shareholding in Amero. And... Those are strategic partnerships. These, these are not just um, supplier relationships. These are relationships where we access their resources. And for a small business in growth mode, it's really good to be able to lay our hands on um, their skilled people um, to plug and play into large projects that we have with 
with customers such as the household names on the previous slide. And I think given the time, I'd better leave it there and um, talk about uh, any questions. Very good. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Barry. We've had a, a few questions come in. Uh, the first one from uh, from Tim, who's a, a regular on our on these uh, calls. Um, he says you mentioned uh, a couple of the other three D manufacturing companies at uh, at the beginning of your um, beginning of your uh, presentation. What uh, what do you think makes uh, you, yours three D A a bit different? Um, the 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 fact that we can offer an end-to-end -end solution and that we've already been through the qualification processes required for uh, aviation defence and space. Um, there, um, both in Australia and, and overseas who are um, starting the journey. And the issue with the uh, aviation defence and space market is it's a long sales cycle. It's five, typically five to eight years. And so you can bleed to death a few times over waiting for those to, to hit in terms of generating revenues. Um, Amero's been through that pain. Um, we were supported through that pain by continued investment by Monash University. And so we've been through those qualification hoops. In addition to that, we offer uh, an end-to-end -end solution involving um, the engineering and design capability right through to establishing a turnkey manufacturing facility. And we also have uh, cost competitiveness on our side to allow us to displace um, conventional manufacturing for, for things such as tooling. And I think that differentiates us, as well as the, the backing of the university um, to be able to solve technical challenges. It, it differentiates us from a lot of the other companies. Right. Thanks for that. Um, you alluded to uh, some of your defence uh, clients uh, uh, during the presentation as well. And um, as we as we know, it's uh, working for defence uh, sector comes with its own um, its own set of challenges. Um, could you maybe just uh, give us some context and a bit of colour around um, you know working with uh, with with defence uh, clients and sort of what it takes to win their trust? Um. I guess um, performance talks. Um, the a, a good example because I can talk about it. Obviously, defence is uh, one of those challenges where you don't often get to talk about the things that you've worked on. But because it's now in the public domain, we can talk about the Apache Gearbox project. Um, basically, Boeing Phantom Works at the time scoured the world for people with the capability to do large format aluminium components. And they actually got three companies to um, produce some prototypes and test specimens. And Amero's performance stood out. Uh, and so they basically selected Amero on the basis that our mechanical properties were better than everybody else's. And, and that's because of the work that was done at Monash University um, prior to Amero being spun off. Um, so there's a number, number of issues around trust. I think um, one of them is that you obviously need to be able to keep confidential things confidential and you need to be able to have um, structures in place that protect 
the customer's confidential information and, and sometimes that's information that's subject to uh, international trafficking in arms regulations or um, export administration rules. Um, and when, when you have that situation, you need to be able to convince the customer that you have strong enough information barriers in place and strong enough isolation of information um, to be assessed as being ready to receive that kind of information. And then um, there's obviously um, the issues around classified data and, and defence clearance. Um, so you, you need to be able to tick all of those boxes. Um, and it, it's a bit of a red flag for um, the large defence primes when you talk about um, small businesses uh, with not good uh, internet security, cyber security. Yeah, yeah. So you, you end up having to go through audits uh, to convince them that you're okay in that regard. Um, but we've been through that. Yep. Very, very interesting. Look, uh, maybe um, maybe a final question from Steve, uh, 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 looking forward question. Um, what do you think the sort of the catalyst might be that um, that's, uh, starts to accelerate uh, revenue uh, for the company? And um, perhaps related to that, um, you know, do you think... Uh, the, the Australian market uh, sort of fully appreciates the um, the opportunity set. Uh, do, do you think uh, it would be sort of much different if you were headquartered in the US? No doubt. Um, we now have a presence in the US, um, but we found out at the beginning of last year that uh, we were missing business opportunities because we weren't local. And so that was the reason behind us establishing the business in Aviation Alley in El Segundo. Um, basically, had we been headquartered and established in the US from the outset, um, access to capital would have been far less challenging than it is on Australian markets. But having said that, the Australian market is becoming more sophisticated with regard to tech investments. Um, particularly when you're talking about global markets. You know, these are not, this is not an Australian market. This is a global market. And we're talking about globally significant technology. And it would be silly for us just to keep that global technology here in Australia. We need to exploit, exploit it globally. The largest market is the US market, and that's why we're there. Um, with regard to catalysts for uh, our revenue growth, there's a number of plays that we've got in the irons in the fire at the moment. And obviously the, the one with Fletcher's, the one with the satellite components um, and the machine sales, particularly uh, if, if we get our proposal up for establishing a centre of excellence, those will all be, um, you know, um, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of opportunities um, in terms of revenue for Amero. So, um, it's it's pretty obvious that, that those are the ones that are going to be um, the the key catalysts in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, beyond that, I think the machine sales is actually going to emerge as, as our biggest individual money spinner. And we're also looking to invest in the development of, of metal commodities such as powder and wire with the um, licensed or, or uh, patented technologies that you can see on this slide here talking about um, special uh, aluminium alloys and special titanium alloys.
Look, I think that's uh, very, very exciting. Thanks uh, very, very much for your time uh, today, Barry. Perhaps just a, a, a last word from you. Um, yeah, I think um, one of the things that is worth noting about Amero since listing, so we're we're coming up, we're just on nine months. Um, I, I guess that's a standard gestation period. Um, not sure about small caps. Often they, they don't bear revenue quite quite as quickly as that. Um, but, look, we're, we're hitting our milestones. Um, it has been challenging with COVID. We've had lockdowns to contend with and so forth. Um, but we continue to hit our milestones and uh, our, our prospects for growth are basically still the prospects for growth that, that we were talking about at the time of our our IPO, and uh, we look forward to continuing to achieve those milestones and um, being able to provide some some good news flow going forward.